What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Wednesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You guys can hit me up over on Twitter at Joe Orico 99 and also at Ethos Fantasy BB, E-T-H-O-S Fantasy BB. That's where we post all of our new podcasts, articles, different news and notes. Everything we got going on on the baseball side does get shared out there at Ethos Fantasy BB. If you're not on Twitter, you can find all that same content at sportsethos.com under the MLB tab. I do recommend you guys go and follow us on Twitter because we do a lot of work there that's not necessarily going to show up on the website. That's the one thing where you won't be getting uh, if you're just going to the website. You won't see the tweets, the different updates that we have throughout the day that go out on Twitter. We post daily articles, and you get a lot of information there and through the podcast that we have going on. But if you're following on Twitter, you really get the full experience, which is why I always give you the handles right off the top. Really trying to get Ethos Fantasy BB over 1,000. We're just about there. We've been kind of sitting on 950, 960 for the last couple of weeks. So really hoping you guys will go ahead and follow us over there. Get us over that 1,000 follower mark. We're going to go over some news and notes today. We're going to talk about Brandon Fott. We are going to talk about the Millers, the battle of the Millers yesterday. And then we have some different updates on some not-so-young pitchers that we are going to get to as well. And then one position player we'll talk about at the end who was recently cleared for baseball activities and should be back pretty soon. Let's start with the Millers. Meet the Millers. Last night or yesterday, actually, I can't remember what time the game started. I believe it was in the afternoon, actually. We had Bryce Miller and Mason Miller go at it, and it was really excellent. I didn't actually get to see the game live, which is why I'm not 100% sure when it started. I was watching highlights. I was watching both of these performances, not in their entireties, but I saw a good chunk of both of the Millers. Really impressive stuff. Let's start with Bryce Miller, because we've talked about Mason Miller a lot. Let's go to Bryce Miller. So he threw six innings, gave up two hits, one earned run, and struck out ten. Now, my thought on Bryce Miller yesterday was he's probably a viable streamer for today. I'm not sure necessarily about the long-term, not even necessarily long-term, but for the rest of this season kind of outlook for Bryce Miller. Got to remember, this was against Oakland he did this. So it's not like he went up against a great team. And, you know, regardless, you know, first major league start, he's coming from double-A, then he does this. It's really impressive. But we also have to pump the brakes a little bit because it is Oakland. Any other team, likely we would not have seen Dominance to this extent, 10 strikeouts, no walks, only one earned run over six innings. Really an incredible debut for him. I think that he is somebody where you're going to see him added up a lot, and it's probably justified after seeing what he did yesterday. He's up to 32% rostered in Yahoo Leagues. Yesterday when we were talking on the show, I believe he was at 2 maybe 3% rostered. So people are going to buy in just based on that. His next start, if it if all goes, you know, if it stays the way it's lined up right now, will come against the Astros. So, no, we're not starting him against the Astros. I don't care how good he looked against Oakland. Me personally, anyway, I would not be starting him. I don't have any shares. Didn't pick him up yesterday. Didn't feel I needed to in the leagues where they are, where I have daily changes. Didn't really have room for him. Didn't really feel the need. He was excellent. Uh, you know, take nothing away from him there. I just don't really know long term what we are necessarily going to see from him. Good strikeout numbers in the minors. Generally, you know, good stats overall in the minors, but, you know, he started the year at double A. Not looking so sharp. That was over five, or excuse me, over four starts, over 19 innings. Did not look very sharp to begin the season. Uh, 641 ERA, a 594 FIP. Just really not doing so well. Now, obviously, we're looking at the Major League level as being superior to AA. But we're talking about this Oakland A's team. They're they're a lot closer to a AAA team than they are to being a Major League Baseball team. So it's exciting when you see a prospect come up and do well. It's 
honestly kind of hard to evaluate just based on one start, though. As good as they might look, as bad as they might look, it is one start. And the fact that it did come against Oakland makes it kind of hard to take away anything really long-term from this. So I think Bryce Miller, speculatively, yes, you can go and add him and then sit him down against the Astros this weekend. That would be my advice now in your head-to-head leagues. That would be my roto advice. In your head-to-head leagues, it does vary more. Uh, you know, if you're coming into Sunday and you just need – or actually, when is he pitching? Um, I'm actually not sure which day of the weekend he'll pitch. Probably on Sunday, I guess, because he pitched on Tuesday. You'll know what you need in head-to-head leagues at that point. If you're just hoping for, you know, you need one win and everything else is kind of taken care of, then you have no reason not to start him, really. If you're trying to maintain your ratios going into the weekend and you're hoping that, you know, Bryce Miller will help keep them down or whatever, I need to just, you know, shave a few points off my ERA, it might be a little bit risky in that regard. I don't know that I would necessarily be doing it. I probably wouldn't be against Houston, regardless of your format, you know, unless it's, you know, a desperation thing. You're already screwed in ERA and your whip, and you're just hoping for strikeouts and wins. You have nothing to lose. But it's really a situational thing. I don't think that Bryce Miller is a just start him and set him and forget him at this point. I think he's good, but I think there's still a long way to go before he is you know, before we should consider him to be a mainstay on fantasy rosters. Let's just see how it goes over his next few outings. Now, Mason Miller, we have seen a few outings now. Hard not to be very impressed. I know the one against the Angels was not so good. Four in runs over four innings, only uh, only one walk, six strikeouts. For the most part, though, uh, really have liked what we saw from Mason Miller. And yesterday, it was seven innings, no hit ball, six strikeouts, and four walks. It's unfortunate that he couldn't keep going, but he threw 100 pitches yesterday, which is about as much as you could expect from Mason Miller. When we had Nick Pollock on a couple weeks ago, when Mason Miller made his debut, we were going live through his debut start, and Nick and I were kind of thinking, all right, 60 pitches, 65 pitches, probably not going to go too far beyond that. I think he ended up at 85, somewhere, high 70s, low 80s in that first start, which was a good sign for his pitch count going forward. It shows that they are going to be more willing to use him, maybe push him up to 100, but out of those 100 pitches he threw yesterday, only 54 were strikes. Control was definitely an issue, despite the fact he did not allow any base hits. Now, Mason Miller, I'm a lot more interested in adding than Bryce Miller. I think Mason Miller, and the fact, the fact that Bryce Miller is more rostered in Yahoo leagues, I don't really get it, honestly. Now, there's the fact that Mason Miller, you know, the other side of that equation for Bryce Miller is that he is pitching for Oakland. So he is going to have limited opportunities for victories. We know starting pitchers for Oakland this year have not won a game. I believe it's the longest streak in Major League history. I think I saw something saying that it was the longest stretch to start a season without having one of your starting pitchers get a victory. It's sad. He'll probably be limited in that regard. But wins are such a crapshoot. You know, we do go for players on better teams, typically when you're looking for wins. But when you're talking about a waiver wire pickup, I don't know that wins are necessarily the thing that should be first and foremost in your mind. You know, those strikeouts are really good. He pitches in a really big ballpark. So a lot of balls are going to die in the outfield there. I think that there's a good chance that Mason Miller ends up being a top 50 starting pitcher rest of season. And I don't know that that's for sure. I've seen some people rank him. I think it was Eno Saris and Nick Pollock both got him ranked like early 40s, 41, 42, 43 kind of range. I don't know that I'm that bullish on him, but what we've seen so far is great strikeout numbers. For the most part, you know, he has performed well. The control has been a little bit of an issue but not something that would lead me to not want to be adding him. He's got six walks. Most of the control problems did come yesterday. Uh, One walk in each of the first two starts of the season against the Angels and against the Cubs. Overall, I think Mason Miller is the guy I would prefer over Bryce Miller. You know, they're both 
highly touted prospects, but I do think what we saw from Mason Miller at the minors and what we've seen from him so far at the big league level has been more impressive, relatively speaking. You know, it's one start against Oakland, so Bryce Miller's numbers are going to look amazing. What Mason Miller did, strikeout-wise and everything-wise, really, in the minor leagues was incredible. You know, there was a couple of times, you know, over very small sample sizes, last year in AAA, two starts, and this year in AA and one start, where the actual ERAs did not look very good. Didn't have, uh, he got a bit unlucky in a couple of those starts as well. Uh, high BABIP numbers. But, you know, the FIP and the XFIP are better. Specifically, his XFIP, always good. The FIP has kind of varied around a little bit. These are, if you're unfamiliar, these are the pitching indicating numbers that kind of remove defense from the equation. Just look at the quality of the actual pitches that are being thrown generally. The pitches that he's throwing are very good. He has some of the highest strikeout upside that we have seen. He's striking out 28% of batters so far through his first three starts, walking 10%, which, again, a lot of that does come from yesterday. But overall, Mason Miller would be the guy that I prefer between the two Millers here. He is somebody where I think that the sky is the limit, honestly. As long as Oakland is going to use him the way I think they are, probably get him to about 120 innings, he should be added all over the place. I added him in my 10-team league, uh, my 10-team home league the other day, in the middle, actually not the other day, yesterday, uh, in the middle of his start. His next game will come against the Royals. So however you want to look at it, there's no question that for if you're thinking about one or the other, even in the specifically in the short term, Mason Miller is a guy you should look at if you're going to be looking at a weekend stream. We'll talk more about some weekend streamers uh, when we do Friday show. But Mason Miller against Kansas City is going to be very high up on that list of preferred streamers. That 28% that he's currently at on Yahoo will not stick. So make sure that you are going and getting him if you think that that's something that you need on your team, which I don't see how a team could go or could be in such a good pitching position at this point considering the injuries where they wouldn't want to take a chance on a guy like Mason Miller. You can make similar arguments for Bryce Miller. I just think that Mason has higher floor higher ceiling. Uh, overall, I just think that he is the better prospect and the better player to be adding at this point. As good as Bryce looked yesterday, let's see him do it a few more times uh, before I'm really ready to dive in. They're both going to be exceptional pitchers. Uh, I think they're both going to be really, really good. I just think Mason Miller might be a little bit better this season. Let's talk about something that happened today, and it was not something that I was really hoping for to talk about in this particular context. Brandon Fott. Brandon Fott made his debut. We've talked about him a lot on the show. I drafted him several times this offseason, and I held on to him, and I started him in a weekly league, in an NFBC league, which is uh, it's a main event qualifier. If you guys know the main event, the high stakes, you know, one of the more noteworthy high stakes, probably the most noteworthy high stakes baseball tournament that there is. It's run on the NFBC site. I'm in a qualifier where if you win the qualifying league, you go into the main event without having to pay the $2,000 entry fee. I started him in that league. My goodness gracious, Brandon fought. It started off looking, you know, fairly well. Uh, you know, the first couple innings were pretty good. The fifth inning, eh, the, the, the doors flew off here for him. So four and two-thirds, nine hits allowed, seven earned runs. He struck out three, and he walked one. This is not the most encouraging. It leads me to think that maybe they will send him back down. The way that they have treated him with the kid gloves so far this season, he didn't look good in the first start. I don't think that... It's guaranteed we're going to see another Brandon Fott start. Uh, you know, I really hope that there is because I think that he is a lot better than what we saw today. I think that going forward, he can still be somebody where uh, there's a lot of value to be had this season. The strikeout potential is really, really high. We're looking at a guy with a minuscule walk rate. He has done very well at all levels of the minor leagues, but it just didn't really translate here in this first game so far. 
I'm I'm disappointed. I think that you're probably okay to drop him in your shallower formats. I wouldn't drop him in 15 teamers. Uh, I would probably just wait and see what they what they have to say. Uh, but a 10 and a 12 team league, I think that he's probably pretty iffy right now, just because of the uncertainty regarding his rotation spot. We saw them not want to use him to start the season. You know, they're happy to use guys like Bumgarner and Tommy Henry. And you know, I know that Bumgarner's not there anymore, but they showed a a lack of willingness to just put him in the big league. So maybe there's something there that they saw that they didn't think he was ready. Maybe he's not ready. I, I thought he was. Again, I'm not somebody who spends a lot of time analyzing the minor leagues. I think there's enough for me personally at the big league level to wrap my brain around. And even then, a lot of the time, there's too much information. I applaud the people who cover the minor leagues. It's just a lot. So I don't really know exactly what the thought process is going to be here for the Diamondbacks, for what their what their plan is for him exactly. I would hope that he stays up, but I don't know that that's necessarily going to be too likely based on the way this first start went. Didn't look overly impressive, wasn't blowing guys away. I think his CSW was 28%, which is a little bit below average. It's not terrible. You know, it's, it's fine, but it's not anything that you're going to be writing home about. Overall, I am a little bit less bullish on Brandon Fott than I would have been yesterday or even earlier today. I think that you're probably okay to drop him in shallower formats. In your deeper leagues, I'd hold on and just wait for some news. But in a 10-team league, uh, I think that he was, you know, somebody that you streamed in and it's probably better options. If we're being honest, on most waiver wires, I think that there's probably better options than Brandon Fott. So I would be pretty okay to let him go in your, in your shallower formats. The reason why you might have some hesitation is because of all the pitching injuries. And you're thinking, who is going to start for me if it's not a guy like Brandon Fott? Even if he's not doing so great, maybe he'll turn it around. High pedigree prospect. Who else are we going to throw out there? It's understandable, especially when we get news like we did today and yesterday about Carlos Rodon. This one is driving me up the freaking wall, guys. Between the back and the arm and everything constantly being shut down. So yesterday they said the back was still bothering him. This was the Rotowire update from yesterday. Uh, Aaron Boone was talking to reporters. Pitching arm is a non-issue at this point, but he's been unable to get over the hump with a back problem, which first cropped up in early April. Still discussing how best to proceed with Rodon's rehab. The lefty has thrown a few bullpen sessions, but it's possible he might get shut down again. This was yesterday. Today, they said he'll be doing more tests. So no longer any issues with the pitching arm, which is really good. But it's the back that's, you know, uh, it's not as big of a concern as an arm, but backs are tricky. I have dealt with some back injuries in my life from, you know, working jobs that I've worked and just being kind of careless with it and doing some construction over the years. Like it's not fun when you have a hurt back because it can just pop up whenever it's not like it's going to be on a schedule and it'll heal and it's fine. It could be fine for a couple days and then bad again. And then it's just, it's very complicated to figure out how backs are going to work. I wouldn't be opposed to selling Carlos Rodon right now and getting back whatever you can. And, kind of just banking on that at this point because these are very concerning updates even though the arm is fine at this point you know is it going to be fine once he starts pitching again there's that's there's that question there's the question of if the back's going to hold up he's also in a new team with a new team and a new ballpark so there's those questions which didn't really concern me coming into the year because it was kind of the only thing but now it's just a number there's just it's just another one of the many issues that we got with Carlos Rodon so if you're able to trade him and you're able to get back somebody who is still maybe not an elite pitcher, but a very, very good pitcher for him, I would be doing it. You know, I would be trying to just salvage that draft pick. It really, honestly, it also depends when you were drafting. Because if you drafted earlier and you took him like in the third round or something like that, 
selling him, even though it's probably still a fine idea to explore, it's going to hurt a lot more and you're never going to recoup that value that you drafted him for. If you drafted later on and you were able to take him like post pick 100 in the 120s, 130s, wherever it was, and you're selling them and you're getting back somebody who is, you know, maybe relatively generally valued in that range, then that's fine. But if you did take him in the second round or something, third round, it's going to be kind of tricky to find a deal that you think would be sufficient just because of the, the invested capital that you have in Carlos Rodon. I think that selling him makes sense. Even just exploring the offers and seeing what kind of you know, what kind of value is currently out there in your league. Because I don't know that we're going to see him come back and be the stud that we thought. He was a top five pitcher for me initially in my rankings. I moved him down to, I think, 22 or 23 in my draft rankings. I wish I just kept sending him farther down. Because honestly, with the injury history he had, we shouldn't be too surprised by this, I guess. And maybe he comes back. You know, Maybe he comes back in a month and he pitches the last four months of the season and he's excellent and he's a great value. There's definitely that possibility but I think the risk at this point is going to start to outweigh the reward the longer that we have to wait for him on the shelf. It's also going to just hurt his value the longer that he goes without pitching. You know, the farther removed he'll be from last season when he struck out 240 batters nearly, had a 288 ERA, won 14 games, and was dominant. The farther we are removed from that, the less people will be willing to trade for him. So I think that the safe play right now is to try and shop around Rodon and just generally see what the value is. That doesn't mean sell for you know bottom dollar. It just means generally start taking a look at the value. If you can get somebody who you think is a borderline top 100 player for him or a top 50-ish pitcher for him, I would trade Carlos Rodon for Mason Miller right now. I don't know that a lot of people are going to accept that, or I'm not really sure, honestly, what people would think about that trade, but... I would happily trade Carlos Rodon for Mason Miller. I would think about doing it for Bryce Miller, honestly. Like I just think at this point there is too many there are too many red flags for me to really be that confident that he's going to come back and be a great fantasy asset for you this season. I'm still hoping for it, but I am you know the optimism is definitely fading a little bit here. Let's talk Jacob Degrom. Jacob Degrom, we got some good news. You know, it's good to mix up the bad news with the good. And with Degrom, it is he is going to be playing catch soon during the Rangers road trip, which will start uh, two days from now on May the fifth. Now it's catch. It's not anything crazy, but it's definitely a good sign. We were talking about Jacob Degrom. I heard some people talk on Twitter. You know, it's best if he misses two months for you at this point. Then it's then we're fine. Uh, then you can still probably recoup your value that you drafted him, whatever. But. Uh, you know, we, we were just immediately assuming the worst, which you can't really blame people with the way that DeGrom's career has gone these last couple of seasons. But the fact that he's already back out there after only going on the IL, what was it, four or five days ago, the fact that he's already throwing does lead you to believe that this was very minor inflammation of his elbow, and it shouldn't really be that big of a concern going forward. Now, will it prop, crop up again later on in the season? It's certainly a possibility, but at this point, it looks pretty good. And Jacob DeGrom, you know, you might have thought, I should sell him or I should, you know, obviously you're not dropping him, but you might have had the thought of I should just sell him now and get something back for him because he's been so good when he's been out there. I'm holding on to Jacob DeGrom at this point because I don't think he's going to be out for too long. And even if you don't get a full, whatever, 160, 150 innings out of him, even if you get 110, even if you get 100 DeGrom innings, it's better than 170 of pretty much any other pitcher in baseball. So... I'm holding on. I am confident that this is going to be a fairly, you know, hopefully a minimum IL stint. And, you know, based on what I'm reading here on Rotowire, we're hoping for activation when he is eligible in mid-May. And that seems like it, it's, I don't want to say likely, but we're trending towards the place or a place where I think that that is 
a distinct possibility that DeGrom does not have to miss more than the minimum 15 on the IL. Definitely good news. Definitely something to be optimistic about, especially considering how many pitchers are injured this year. It has been brutal. We're going to be getting another pitcher back, too. Adam Wainwright will make his season debut on Saturday against the Tigers. Awesome that he gets to start against the Tigers, which would make him pretty viable, I would say, uh, even just as a streamer. Now, in terms of the long-term viability of Adam Wainwright for 2023 as a whole, he is about as much of an unknown as there could possibly be. At 41 years old, he had started to decline over the last, you know, these last couple of years have been good, but he had been in a decline. 2016, 17, 18, and 19 were pretty bad. These last three years have been really good. You know, 315 ERA, 305, 371. Really solid, if not, you know, striking out a lot of batters. He's getting down with wins. He's giving you good ratios. He's still interesting. But I just don't know exactly if there's really any gas left in the tank at this point at 41 years old. Adam Wainwright has thrown 2,500 innings in the bigs. He's started almost 400 games. There's a lot going on there. You know, there's a lot going on you want to talk about. Also, he's got the groin problem, which just seems to be in check. But who knows exactly how long he's going to hold up at this point. I'd say that, you know, he's worthy of a stream for this weekend. We'll talk about him more on our Friday streaming show. But I wouldn't be dropping an established player for him because, oh, Adam Wainwright, you know, he's pitching for a good team, even though they're not good so far. They will, they will be a lot better for sure. Adam Wainwright is not somebody that I would be, you know, saying, oh, he's going to be, you know, sub-4 ERA again, 15 wins. Like, I don't know if we're that confident. I'm personally not that confident. But I think at the very least you stream him for Sunday. Uh, is it? Yeah. Sorry, Saturday. You stream him Saturday against the Tigers. If it doesn't work out, you can just easily drop him. If it does work out, then you might actually have, and we won't really know after that first start. I just think it's a good opportunity for him to hit the ground running. We won't know for a few starts until, you know, what's actually going to be happening here. Because I feel like if we see three or four good starts in a row from Wainwright, we'll generally know that that's probably what he's going to do. Could be wrong. But I think if we see him start off strong, he'll continue strong. If we see him start off poorly, he'll probably continue down that road. So I think he's an interesting streamer, not somebody that I would be going all in on at this point, but I, I think definitely Saturday, he should be an interesting streamer in the mix there against the Tigers. One last piece of news we will talk about for today, Jose Altuve. Jose Altuve has been cleared for baseball activities. This is very good news. This is excellent news. Now, they haven't actually announced a timeline yet. They said that he is going to resume swinging. Uh, he's going to start swinging the bat again. He was fielding grounders. He's been throwing the ball around a little bit. This is very good news. Now, they haven't put a timeline on it from what I'm seeing from Roto World. Thinking they're probably about three weeks away from Jose Altuve, which is totally fine. You know, you're going to get him back a lot sooner than you probably would have thought that you would be getting him this season after about a month. I guess we weren't really sure, but he's not exactly a spring chicken anymore. Wasn't sure how he was going to recover. I know it's just a thumb. But eh, there's always kind of questions once a guy gets older exactly how they are going to perform. So it's very good to see and how they are going to heal as well. So it's very good to see Jose Altuve has been given the green light here to start swinging again. He was taking grounders. All very good signs. Now, this is going to apply to a very small number of you. I will warn whenever I say something that is more for shallow leagues or for just maybe a small number of you in general. But go and check the waiver wire. I don't think it'll be many of them. He is currently 94% rostered on Yahoo, 95% rostered on ESPN, and I'll check fan tracks real quick. Probably a similar number, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't be at least checking around. And this is, again, usually for you guys who play in a bunch of leagues. If you're playing in one league, then 
you know who's on the waiver wire most likely. He's 98% roster on the fan track, so very unlikely that you are going to see him on the waiver wire. This is for very shallow leagues, but again, 94 95%. For a guy like Jose Altuve, who was my number one second baseman coming into the year, like he is still an elite five-category producer. He shouldn't be available in any leagues, you know, especially Yahoo, where almost all of them have IL spots. 94, people are going to say, oh, it's 94, Joe. Like, why even bother, you know? Well, leagues are not inactive at this point. I would be shocked if there is even a single league at this point where there's nobody active anymore. Once we get to, you know, post-All-Star break, football's back, people start getting ready for the NBA and everything else, then, sure, there'll be inactive leagues. At the point where we are, and it is May the 3rd, there should not be a single league where a guy like Altuve is on the waiver wire. But according to what I'm seeing, about 1 in 20 leagues, he is on the waiver wire. So... Go check it out. I know this is likely for you guys in eight-team leagues. If you're in a 10- or a 12-team league and Altuve is on the wire, do not hesitate to drop literally anybody for him, pretty much. He is still IL eligible, so you don't even have to drop somebody in your active roster, necessarily. And again, I know this is not going to be a lot of you. I know, for the most part, Jose Altuve is already rostered and stashed in almost all your leagues, but I just want to remind you, because I know that there are some people who play in a lot of leagues. I am one of those people, not even that many leagues, but historically... I've played in a lot of leagues. Some people out there play 10, 20, 100 leagues. Check the waiver wire in all of them. Make sure that Jose Altuve is not sitting there because once he comes back, he'll go right up to the leadoff spot in the Astros lineup. Should be able to give you that same kind of five-category production. Maybe the home runs, maybe the power takes a bit of a step back with the thumb. Maybe he's not able to swing fully. But I think once he gets back, he'll be pretty good to go. Maybe we won't see 28 home runs again, but you know, close to 20 home runs, 15, 17 steals with a 300 average in that lineup. There's no reason why you should be on even 1% of waiver wires. But, guys, that's going to wrap it up for me. Appreciate you hanging out. Tomorrow we have a very special guest joining the show. I'm still deciding if I'm going to put it out on Friday for the 300th and make it like a 300th episode special or if I'll just put it out tomorrow. But it's Vlad Sedler from FTN, co-host of the FTN Fantasy Baseball Podcast. He's going to be talking with us about some draft day regrets, and we'll overall just kind of be looking back on April as well, talk about some of the trends, some of the things we've seen what we find interesting, and all the rest of the cool fantasy baseball stuff going on uh, throughout the first month of the season. But guys, make sure you're subscribing. Make sure you get those pods right in your feed when they get released. That is very helpful to me. Seeing those downloads go up has been very cool over the last year, and you guys have been awesome with going and listening to both episodes, new and old. So I really do appreciate all that support. Hit me up on Twitter with any questions, at JoeOrico99. Also at Ethos, Fantasy BB, E-T-H-O-S, Fantasy BB. You get all of our new updates, podcasts, links, article, everything. Everything we go on the baseball side does get shared out there. So make sure you guys are following along and showing some support. But until tomorrow, guys, hope you have a great night. Hope you have a successful fantasy evening. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow. But until then, cheers. Take care. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.